Good morning, everyone. My name's Ali, and I'll be reading from the Bible today. Uh, And we're going to be reading Ruth chapter 3, and it's found on page 122 in the Bibles at the back if anyone needs to grab one. So Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with those with, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned. There was a woman lying at his feet. Who who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you as you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. He then went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's James, I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got the joy of opening up God's Word this morning. So I encourage you, please have our Ruth uh, chapter 3 open in front of you. And before I open and pray as we come to God's Word, I just wanted to remind us, just a couple, um, just give you a bit of news as well. Is at, at Toongabi Baptist Church, we're a church that desires to let the Word of God set the agenda. We want to be people who bring our lives under it, and we want to be centred upon them. And in a way, that's why we value preaching of God's Word. At Toongabi Baptist Church, 
Um, in spiritual leadership, we have elders. We have men of godly character who desire to see God's word at the center of all we do and shape all that we do. And, Dan, and Daniel Proderich is one of those men who's been faithfully serving as an elder for over six years in this position through his regular preaching and his teaching here from the front. Dan has seen the highs and he's seen the lows of leadership and he's been a steady hand and a godly man through it all. And so we are so thankful for his leadership. I am grateful for serving alongside him for the last two years as well. But also at the same time, leadership is costly. It's exhausting both physically, emotionally and spiritually. And so there are times where we all need to have some extended and purposeful time to be rested and to find refreshment. And because of Dan's character, because of his integrity, he's realised that he needs a break from leadership for a season to go and be refreshed, to step back from preaching and eldership over the coming months so that he can be rested and refreshed spiritually and to reassess that in a couple of months of coming back on. And so we as a church, we just want to recognise that. We want to support him, pray for him. It just helps you know not to go and bombard him with heaps of questions as one of the spiritual oversights here, but allows us to pray for him in this season as he rests and he's restored so that he can continue to serve and see lives transformed by Jesus here. So let me pray as we come to God's word and pray for Dan at this time. Father, we want to give you thanks for what you've been doing in Daniel's life, how you've rescued him, you've made him one of your own. Father, we want to thank you for, his, for the energy that he has given, for his godly leadership, for his character and the way that he has led so well over six years. And so, Father, we want to pray for him during this time as he, he takes a season off to step back, to be refreshed. Lord, restore him, help him to recover his energy. Lord, help him to be spiritually refreshed as well and to grow that delight of his love of Jesus in him. And so, Father, we pray for him at this time. Father, as a church, we get behind him. And Father, help us all as a church as well to know that we need rest and to be refreshed as well at seasons and at times. And so, Father, we pray for him. And Father, Lord, now as we come to your word, we want to be refreshed again. And so we ask that you will guide us now. Lord, may your spirit be at work in our hearts and help us to understand your character more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love to go through books of the Bible here at Toongabi Baptist Church. We preach through books of the Bible, which means we do that because we want to get a, a full picture of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation. And that means that, you know, we all have tendency to have subjects that we love and we get into and we forget the rest of the Bible. But what we do here is we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we go through books like Ruth, Ruth 1, Ruth 2, and then you come to Ruth chapter 3 and it's one of those tougher chapters. It's one of those, it was actually the toughest chapter in the book of Ruth, and it's probably in fact one of the toughest chapters in the whole Old Testament. And so therefore we want to, for us, we're not going to skip over it, we're going to hit it up today and we're going to look at Ruth chapter 3. Now, Ruth chapter 3, it, it's a book, it's a chapter that's it's, it's intriguing, it's a bit shady, it's a bit, what's going on here? Is Ruth a book on dating? Is it a book about finding the right husband? Are you meant to sneak out at night and go and uncover the legs of a man and lay there and he will become your Mr. Right? 
Is this a chapter that, that helps us know that we can wear makeup and put it on and, 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 and smell nice? You know, is it the, the chapter where, you know, the Mary Kay or the Maybelline can pull a verse for Christians and say, here's your verse of why you should buy makeup from us? Is it that kind of chapter? There's lots going on here. It's, as you read it, I don't know if you really read it, it's actually quite interesting. It's shady. And no wonder commentators and some people have seen this as a sexually charged chapter of the Bible. Some of that's from interpretation. But even if you don't see it as a sexually charged chapter, it's something's going, what's going on here? It's like a movie. But see, some reason people see this as a sexually charged chapter is because the word for feet can also in Hebrew be translated as the lower regions of a man or a woman. And so is, is Ruth lifting up the, the, the rug or the sheet to lay his feet or to lay somewhere else? Now that might be puzzling for some of us. It might be hard to feel. Is this real? Should we even be talking about this kind of stuff? Well, it's here in the Bible. So what's it about? Well, hopefully, you're going to see that in this chapter, there are a few little clues about how we are to interpret this passage. It's not about dating. It's not about saying to a girl, he, you, you can be assured you will find your Mr. Right and get married. That's not what this chapter is about. And we're going to see that. But before we do that, as we come to Ruth chapter 3, let's just recap for a moment. You might not have been here, but Ruth chapter 1, we find a man called Elimelech. He's a He's a man who's married to Naomi. His name Elimelech means, you know, God is my king. But what we find out early on is really God mustn't be or he's not trusting God because there's a famine. And so he heads off to Moabite territory with his wife and his two sons and they get married. And he's only meant to stay there just for a short little while. But what happens is he stays there for a while. His sons marry Moabite women. He dies. The two sons die. And Naomi and Ruth and her other daughter, they are left without husbands to take care of them. They've got no sons. They've got no heir. And so Naomi says, I'm going to go back to Israel. I think there's a, there's a drought. The drought's broken. I'm going to go back. She said, stay here to her daughter-in-laws. And then Ruth says, no, where you go, I will go. I will die where you die. Your God will be my God. And Ruth goes back. And at the end of chapter one, we find out that Naomi is very bitter at God. She's bitter and she is empty. And at the end of chapter one, we go, what's going to happen? That's when we get to chapter two. Naomi is empty and she's very bitter at the start of chapter two. And then we get to chapter two and Ruth steps out and we find that she actually takes refuge under Boaz. She's got to take things into her own hands. She heads out into the field in the daytime. <clears throat> she heads out a day, hoping that maybe there might be just someone who will allow her to glean because this is the day of judges of the judges. So she heads out and she finds somewhere to glean. And it just happens to be the field of Boaz. And what we learn is that's the providence of God. It's not that she's just happened to be here. God has led her to this field on this day. And Boaz just happens to be there. He comes out and he says, who are you? He wants to know who she is. And, and under Boaz, she takes refuge. These two women who are empty, they take refuge and they find incredible provision. They find ease and security. They find honour and identity. And ultimately, they find a redeemer. And so at the end of chapter two, we're left with this thing. I wonder what's going to happen next. 
Because Naomi said to Ruth, go back into the field day after day. Harvest doesn't just take a day. And so Ruth goes back day after day, week after week, and weeks turn into months. And here we are. We don't know the time period between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but something's happened and we get to verse 1. And let's have a look at what this chapter really is about. Have a look at verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter... I must find a home for you where you, will, will, where you will be well provided for. Now, that word home is rest. It's the idea of rest. It's a Hebrew word that means rest. It, it means to offer peace, provision, protection. It's like the idea of shalom. And so here's this widow, Ruth, and she wants to find peace and rest and a home for her. For us, home is where the heart is. It's a place where you feel like you belong. But see, it's even more than that because there's no sons, there's no inheritance, there's no sons who can take the family name on and she wants to find that. Now, what's so striking about this is that if you're here today and you're a single woman in the 21st century or even a single man, as a single woman in the 21st century living in Australia, you're probably actually going to be well off. You're probably going to be better off financially than a married couple. You're probably going to have a nice house, a nice car. You'll probably eat out more. And, and, and life is actually very well off in that situation. But when you're in Naomi's day, it's the very opposite. It means poverty, isolation, no provision and no security. And Naomi is asking this question. She wants her to find a home to calm her, to have some children. Is there any hope for her daughter-in-law of finding rest in the dark days of the judges? Is there any hope of us finding true rest in a dark and weary world? And what do we find? What do Naomi and Ruth find? What will we find as we read chapter 3? Well, actually, what we find straight up is we find a very risky plan. Did you notice that? It's actually a very risky plan. Let's have a look there in verse 2. Now, Boaz... Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he's going to be on the winnowing, he's going to be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Now, for all of us in the room, this is not about dating advice, but here's some advice. We probably should put on some smelly stuff and have a shower if you want to find a husband or a wife. Like, it's probably wise to clean your teeth. It's probably wise to put on nice clothes and to, to go and try and, you know, you don't want to have bad breath and you don't want to have BO when you're trying to find a husband or a wife, are you? But is that what's going on? And then they go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, right, just make sure you know the place where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth says. Now here what we find is this is actually a very risky plan. And here's five reasons why this is a very, very risky plan. First reason is there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee of a redeemer. Now, a kingsman redeemer in the ancient world, it was a brother. It was a family member. It was to be a brother of another brother. And if the brother was married, in Deuteronomy, if a brother was married to a, a woman and he died, they had no kids, this other brother was to take her as his wife so that her, the brother that died could have sons. And so a brother was meant by law to take a widow to redeem her. This idea of redemption could also be economically. You as a family come into poverty, like you've, 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 you've failed in business. 
and you become a slave because you owe heaps of money. A redeemer could come along and rescue you and pay that price. They could buy your land. If you lost your land, they could come along and redeem and bring that land back to the family name. But when it comes to marriage, the law is pretty clear in Deuteronomy 25. And technically, it's a little bit grey here is that if they're not a brother-in-law, or especially if the widow is a Gentile, is it actually required? It's a bit grey. So if, if a redeemer is to do it, they're going above and beyond the letter of the law. And so there's no guarantee that Ruth will have a kingsman redeemer who will take her. <laughs> and, and really what, what Ruth Naomi is doing is saying, go and ask his hand in marriage. But see, here's another reason why it's risky. It's because it's the days of the judges. See, it's risky because it's the days of the judges. Remember verse one, the context, it's the days of the judges. There's no king, evil is going on everywhere. Just go and read the book of Judges and you'll see like Samson who takes a prostitute at night. There's just so much corruption and sexual morale. It's like we're living in those days. So that's, that's, that's a risky plan. But secondly, it's, it's also a risky plan because there's a terrible rack a terrible track record at this stage for Moabites. There's a terrible track record in the Bible leading up to this point of men and women and what they'll do. See, in Genesis chapter 38, in Genesis chapter 38, there's a bloke called Judah and he, and he heads down to a Canaanite country. He's a brother of Joseph. He heads away and he goes to a Canaanite country. He finds a Canaanite wife. He has three children, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. He has three sons, and they marry Canaanite women. Well, Ur marries a Canaanite woman called Tamar, and Tamar's husband, Ur, dies because he's so wicked. So, Onan's supposed to take Tamar as his wife. But go and read Genesis chapter 38, and you find out that he, he's very cunning, and he won't allow her to fall pregnant. So he gets killed. So the third son, Judah, says, oh yeah, yeah, Tamar, we'll give you the third son one day. And the third son grows up and it never happens. And so here we have Tamar. It's a time of the shearing of the sheep, which is a festive season. And she takes off her widow's clothes in verse 14 and covers herself with a veil to disguise herself. Now, in a sense, when we get to Ruth, the reason that I think Ruth goes from, you know, she puts on different clothes is because she's going from mourning. She's mourning the death to now being ready for marriage. And here in Genesis 38, Tamar does exactly the same thing. She takes off her widow's clothes and covers herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sits on the road. And when Judah comes along, he thinks she's a prostitute. And the, you can go and read the rest of the story. Now, if you're reading Ruth or in, you, you know this and you think, oh, that's interesting. But then you go to, go to Genesis chapter 19, where the Moabites come from. And, and in Genesis chapter 19, Lot and his daughters, we have Ruth and Naomi scheming a plan. In, Lot, in, in Genesis 19, the two daughters are scheming a plan. They scheme a plan because there's no men for them. There's no seed. There's, no, you know, there's going to be no hope for them in this world. And so they scheme a, a thing to get their dad drunk. They uncover him, one goes in, and, 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 and then the next one comes in, and, and here we have the Moabite people. The track record isn't so good here. And so we come to this chapter going, I wonder if it's going to be the same. I wonder if it's going to be the same. 
Is there any hope in a depraved world? But here's the fourth reason. It's harvest time. Here's another reason why it's pretty risky. It's harvest time. Weeks have turned into months. They've gathered all the stalks. They've gathered it all. And what would happen is that all, all the people would probably go possibly to a higher place on the mountains where there was rocks because you don't want grain as you thrash. You don't want grain to fall in the dirt. So they'd go to a place where there was rocks. And at night or in the daytime on a mountain, there's more breeze. And so as you throw up the grain and the chaff, the chaff blows away and the grain falls down. Harvest time was a festive season of great food and great wine. It was a time where they celebrated. At the end of the day, they were worn out and they would go to sleep and they would enjoy life. But also, often, the thrashing floor was a place where the women of the town would go out at night and sell themselves. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, because you've been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of prostitution at every thrashing floor. Thrashing floor. Now, do you see the risk here? What's, what's Ruth going to be seen as? But here's the fifth one, right? I don't know whether you picked it up. It's nighttime. Last week, it was daytime. In Ruth, you've got to notice that in narrative, it was daytime last week. It was risky then for her to head out. And now it's night and she's heading out. It's risky business. Is there any hope? Is there hope of finding true rest in a dark world? And it leaves us in suspense at this point. It leaves us with the question, is Boaz really a mighty man of God? It's easy to be a godly man or a godly woman at church on a Sunday in the sun, to turn up here and show the fruit of the Spirit. But it's different when it's behind closed doors. It's different when it's dark. So is Boaz going to be the same man at night as he is in the daytime? And so Ruth steps out entrusting herself to the character of Boaz and abandons all other means of protection, putting her reputation and her image on the line. It's a radical risk. What's going to happen in this shady passage? And I think for us, in a sense, when we have a love for Jesus, we too will abandon and entrust our steps to him. See, she entrusts herself to Boaz of what she knows of his character. So that as we entrust ourselves to our saviour, Jesus, even though the cost may seem too high or, or way out of step, as we seek to see thousands of lives transformed in Western Sydney by Jesus, to step out and to give up a career, to give up that and to head to Bible college and to go and work in a church will seem risky at the time. Or to step out and, and hold, you know, onto your, you know, just to step out and put on hold your secure retirement and to go, you know what, I'll come out two nights a week and I'll invest in running Christianity Explained. It may seem crazy to those who've retired, but we entrust ourselves to the character of Jesus, who we know is faithful and true. And so, what will we find in the rest of chapter three? What will we find? Is there the hope of finding rest, true rest? What are we going to find? Are there going to be two lovers who meet and embrace? Is it going to be like Judah and Lot? Or will there be a glimmer of hope? That's our next point, the glimmer of hope. The character of Hesed. There is a glimmer of hope here because there is the character of Hesed. See, if we are to watch any romantic comedy or to watch a drama 
or a love story in our culture or to read it in a book or watch it in the movies. Nearly all of them involve men and women seeking passion. And when they meet, they have to indulge in a sexual activity, whether it's on the beach or an elevator or whether it's in a, in a shower. And our minds don't even think twice about that not being God's plan for a flourishing sex life in a heterosexual relationship. We just don't even think twice. Our culture also at the same time, it, it holds up the virtue of image, charisma, charismaticness, being a leader who has to look good and look cool and have this incredible image. That's what we need in our world. And so we pick up our Bibles and we get to verse 6 and we think, what's going to happen now? Have a look. Let's have a look. Verse 6, verse 7. She's gone out and done everything she's told. So when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, we, we note this. It's really interesting why the narrator tells us this. He goes to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. He could have just said he's gone to lay down the grain pile. But see, that was a combined communal spot where you would do your grain and you'd stay there to keep it safe. But he's gone right to the far end of the grain pile to lay down. You know, Naomi's like, you've got to make sure you don't want to lay down at the wrong feet and ask the marriage of someone else and be the wrong person. But a Ruth, she approaches quietly. She uncovers his feet. I don't know about you, but I hate having cold feet at night. There's nothing worse than, than waking up and your feet are cold. Now, we don't know whether Boaz's feet are cold and that's why he woke up. But something startled him and he wakes up. But look at his response. It's like, well, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth. And Ruth here, what's happening here? It's at... Spread the corner of your garment, verse 9, over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. That is her proposing to him. Marry me as a redeemer. And look at his response. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than what you showed earlier. This word for kindness, I wonder if you've picked up on it from last week. It was told about Boaz. It's the Hebrew word hesed which in English, we do not have a word that completely covers the whole range of that meaning. See, Hesed is generally talked about God and his character, about his loyalty and his love, about his grace and his mercy, about his goodness and his faithfulness to his covenant people. But here it's mentioned of Ruth. Last week it was mentioned of Boaz, this kind of Hesed character. And so we're here on, the, on this floor and we're the reader and we think, I wonder where they're going to embrace and kiss. And be love ever after. Will we see another picture of the days of sexual immorality? Or will we see a picture of hope? Will we see purity and holiness? So we have Boaz, a man of power and wealth and status, and he shows us Hesed love towards Ruth. And Ruth shows Hesed love towards Boaz. Because see, Ruth isn't after Boaz for his good looks or lusting after him. Did you notice that? Because Boaz is pretty real, like, um, Boaz is a bit older. He's like to Ruth, um, I look at your hessedness because you could have had the choice blokes that are all out there. You could have had them, you had the pick of them. You could have had a younger, attractive man than me. Boaz is across the far side of the grain pile. A man with power where no one would see him take advantage of a woman of a younger woman. No one would see it. Boaz is getting older 
And so his chances of finding a noble wife are slipping. And yet his character shines through here. His integrity, his honesty. We see that he's a godly man. Because look at verse 12. Right, he's, an, he's getting on. He wants to, he, you know, although it is true that I am your guardian redeemer of our family, do you see the integrity here? There's actually someone who's closer. And he's got to go first. I don't want to jump in. He probably would have, he could have done it. But we see his integrity. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty, I'll go and tell him he's your guardian redeemer. And if he does not want to do that, I will do it. We see his integrity. But we also check out, check out how he cares for Ruth at the same time. I don't want people thinking of you wrongly. Verse 14, lay at my feet until morning, but get up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So it's not like he's trying to cover up this saucy moment. We can see that that's not what's happening because we've seen the character of Hesed. No, no, we're actually seeing him going, no, like we don't want people thinking wrongly of Ruth. In a dark world where people were living however they wanted, in a world where God seemed far away and no hope on the horizon. Because is there a hope for us of finding true rest in a dark world? And what do we find in chapter 3? Well, we see that Naomi and, and Ruth, they come up with a pre pretty risky plan for Ruth to find rest. Ruth entrusts herself to Boaz's character and he, he truly shows Hesed and she truly shows Hesed love and there's this glimmer of hope see Ruth chapter 3 isn't a chapter about dating and advice on that about you know sneaking out at night I don't know if you're a father here you probably wouldn't want that to be actually happening that's not what we're meant to take away from here but it actually just brings to light the riskiness of what was taking place because in this moment this relationship that we can look and go hey this is this is a moment where we should date and do this and ask a marriage like this no no this little story of Hesed character is actually a little story that reminds us of actually a really big story of God's character because see it's to remind the Israelites of God's Hesed love the Hesed love of God for his people. You can imagine possibly as the Israelites have come back from exile Babylon, they have no temple, no walls, everything is empty. It's actually a reminder them of God's plan and his love and his character for his people. That despite the rebellion, despite the darkness, God is at work because he is faithful to his promise. Look at verse 17. Does verse 17 remind you of anything? He gave me these six measures of barley, right? So Boaz has given this to Ruth and Ruth comes home. We find out now that she's, he's actually given it to Ruth to give to Naomi. Don't go back to your mother-in-law. Notice that word, empty-handed. Now, where have we seen that before? Chapter one, Naomi was empty. She, she thought God was far away, empty. Yet what the author of Ruth is saying to us is that Boaz promises to Ruth, I'm going to see that you're redeemed or I will redeem you and I'm going to ensure that you're not empty because you're not empty. Because see, it's seed. 
Do you see? He gives the grain and its seed. And in a way, we are reminded of the promise to Abraham where he says, I am going to give you a child and through your seed and there will become a seed one day who will save the nations. There's a promise of a seed. See, by Naomi finding a husband, it's not just security and protection, it's a family line. And it reminds us of the character of God and that the promises that he has made. The promise of a king who would come and who would save. It's a reminder of the character of God and that the promises that he has made, he will keep because of his Hesed character. That no matter how dark the world gets and the people of God rebel, God will stick to that promise. And Ruth reminds God's people that we are not actually empty. We have everything. And in a sense, it reminds us, and we'll get there next week, we are reminded that because of this interaction, we have King David, and because of that interaction, we have the great, 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 great grandson of Ruth, who is Jesus. See, because in this moment today, the reason that all of us are here as rescued and redeemed men and women is because of this interaction this night. In the midst of a dark world. See, it's a reminder to us of who, it's a reminder to us who have been redeemed of the cross of Christ. That we are to wait, that we are to rest and entrust our lives to Jesus and to trust in his character. So you might be right here right now feeling lost, alone, and there's no end in sight for the, the, the suffering and the position that you're in life right now and you can't see an end to it. Ruth chapter 3 reminds us that we find true rest. Rest in this Hesed love that can only be truly found in Jesus. See, Ruth that night didn't know how it was going to turn out. But she did know she was going to get married. But who too? But God knows the end of the story. He sees, he hears, he acts according to his big story. And this little story is a part of his big story. And your little story is a part of his big story. And he is acting in his big story, guiding your life for your good and for his glory. Is there hope of finding true rest in a dark world? Naomi wanted Ruth to find rest. And so for us, it's a reminder of the great-great-grandson of Ruth, that true rest is found in entrusting our lives to Jesus. Entrusting our lives to Jesus, who is Hesed, loyal, faithful, gracious, merciful. And it means today, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, Ruth chapter 3 is a, is a wonderful um, encouragement to you to go, there is rest to be found today. In a world that's wearied and tired, trying to find contentment and happiness, to find provision. And as we go out and you're not finding it, Ruth chapter 3 says there is a place where you can come and entrust your life and you'll find life. Because Jesus says, come to me all who are wearied and heavy laden and I will give you true rest. Because see, in him you can find rest from life. 
Because it's through his life, death and resurrection that he died for our sins. He, he paid the price that we should have paid. He died the death that we should have died. He faced the punishment and the wrath of God that we should have faced. He was buried and he rose again. And he did that for God's glory. And he did that to make us his. And so we entrust our lives with him. And if that's you tonight, today and you want to know more, come and talk to me. But as Christians, it's a great reminder of how we entrust our lives to Jesus, of how we entrust our lives to Jesus today. And so not only do we see an incredible picture of the big story of God, I think there's something else that we see as well, that as we live for Jesus, as we entrust our lives to him, what do we do? How do we live that out? We live it out with the importance of character the importance of character, of Hesed love. Now, it hasn't always been the case in history, but over the last couple of centuries, there was a point where character mattered. But currently, I think that's changed. Character is no longer king. We live in a world where marriage is on feelings and convenience. The appetite for sex drives our dating and our sex outside of marriage to be pursued at the expense of character. Individualism matters. Individual choice matters. It matters not for the common good. Right? It's, it's my choice that matters and it's not for the common good. At the same time, we idolise charismatic leaders who are attractive and cool, who can oratorily say things in such an incredible way and yet as we see that on TikTok and YouTube or as we see that in our culture as we see those things it's sadly not working because there's more broken relationships there's a higher rate of mental health people are less content and still searching in the pursuit of rest true rest and so for us as Christians, here's what Ruth chapter 3 I think is, is it's, it's one of those things that reminds us of the importance of character the importance of character, Hesed, love. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth comes after Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 31, we hear about a noble woman and a wise woman, which really is talking about the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. So in the Hebrew Bible, you read about wisdom and then now we have the book of Ruth. And it's no coincidence that we read Ruth chapter 3. And so as a Christian community, we are to be marked by godly character. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. Notice that Boaz had extreme integrity. He had honesty, faithfulness, hard work, loyalty, unconditional love. He brings an outsider in. Have you noticed that, that for us as Christians, that the importance of this character in our community, that as we meet on a Sunday, as we talk in the foyer, as we go out this week amongst each other, there's the importance of character that we need to grow in our lives, to be slow to anger and quick to listen. At the same time, as Christians in our Christian community, therefore it means we need to be wary of the pressure from society to look up to charismatic leaders who have personality, who wear the right clothes, who oratorically are great in what they say and they seem like the super cool Christians that everyone wants to be around. The world tells us that's what we need for church. The Bible says we need leaders of character. 
read Timothy. They're not all got it together, but they're men and we have to see women of character. That's what we are to look for. We have to be reminded to look for character, the character of Jesus in our lives. To, to be reminded of Jesus who says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to lay his life down for another. They see the beautiful character of the people of God. Now, as we engage our brothers and sisters in this Christ-like way of character, of hesed love, of loyalty and love and, and grace and mercy, as we do that, imagine the picture that paints to the world. Remember the days that Boaz is living in. They're dark days. And yet the community knew that Boaz and Ruth were of noble character, a mighty man of God. See, Ruth 3 gives us a glimpse of what it means for us to live in a complex world. Paul lived in a complex world of trying to work out in, in the city of Corinth what it meant to be a Christian. And we too today in Australia, in a complex world, as things change, we're trying to work out what it means to live as Christians. And in Australia, integrity seems to have been forgotten. Whether it's on the political scene or in business, we seem less worried about doing the right thing for the... We seem less concerned about doing the right thing for the sake of our own comfort and our own ease. And just like Boaz, just like Paul, we too live in a world where we navigate that, where we take the gospel to the ends of the earth and we take it with character. Now, you can know that they knew that Boaz was a, this noble man, but you can imagine the crowds going, Boaz, mate, you could have scored Ruth that night, mate, and no one would have known. Right? You got mocked. He, he could have been mocked for the way that he dealt with Ruth. But yet he was still known. See, the character, character still can shine through that. Have you ever noticed that? Like, we can be mocked and, and, and go, but, well, some reasons we should be mocked because we're just silly. Because we actually haven't shown the character of God. Do we show the character of God? We can be so quick to get angry and use words and say things that we shouldn't say. But character trumps that. 1 Peter says, Live such godly lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. See, as we entrust our lives to our Saviour Jesus, which by all accounts is risky in the eyes of the world, may the one in whom we entrust our lives to be the one whose character is shining through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we will be people marked by character, godly character, that our lives will be marked by love, joy, peace, or maybe marked by your hesed love that's working through us because of what we receive from you. Lord, may we have integrity, loyalty, faithfulness. Lord, may we shine in this world. And so, Father, we, we ask that you'll help us to do that. Lord, help us this week to, to reflect on how we are responding and how we are reflecting character. Father, and as we reflect on that, can we reflect on Ruth chapter 3 and to see that what took place that night 
in the midst of shady circumstances. We saw pure purity and holiness and that we are here today because of that moment of you working through little stories and through that little story that you worked to your big story of your son Jesus who came, who died, who lived for us. So Father, we entrust our lives to him today and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.